Welcome to the First John Bible Study Podcast, where we'll dive into the book of First John verse by verse to see what truths God is communicating to us. This podcast is brought to you by Brian Androsian from New City Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about New City, visit newcityrdu.com, or you can follow us on all social media platforms at, at newcityrdu. Thanks for joining us. Now let's jump into First John. Welcome back to our Bible study through the book of First John. Today we're going to be in First John chapter three, verses eleven through twenty-four. Uh, just to give a little recap of what we covered last week. Last week we talked about the importance of emulating Jesus. That as followers of Jesus, our goal should be to be as much like Jesus as possible, and um, how we can never be exactly like Him, but it's our responsibility as believers to follow Him to the best of our ability and be as much like Him as we can. And part of that, part of what that is, is avoidance of sin at all costs. That Jesus forgives, obviously, but that doesn't give us a free pass, and we are to do everything in our power to avoid sin. And we talked about how we all have the, just, the, the, uh, the, the tendency to justify sin in different areas, but if we want to be with Jesus, we have to be like Jesus. That if we want to be with Jesus, we have to do everything in our power to be as much like him as possible. So that's what we talked about in the first section of 1 John chapter 3. And now we're going to continue into verse 11. And John continues in this chapter saying this, starting in 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. It says, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Again, this isn't new information for these readers, but John is reminding them that this is the command that Jesus gave them, which they're already familiar with. That this is their command, that they are to love one another. This isn't something um, that he's revealing to them for the first time. This is something they already knew. And he's reminding them, this is Jesus' command, love one another. And he continues in verse 12. He says, unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So John here is uh, referencing Genesis 4. Cain, who's the son of Adam and Eve, he murdered, murdered his brother Abel because his offering to God wasn't accepted while his brother's was. And so the readers would have been familiar with this history and with this story and understood what, what John was referencing. And John, is, what he's doing is he's, he's simply giving a historical example that was universally understood as Cain committing an evil act against his righteous brother. So he continues this thought, and in verse 13 he says, Don't be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. And so John turns his focus here to the readers and, and sort of puts them in, in Abel's shoes from the Cain and Abel story. He's telling them, don't be like Cain and be hateful. But if, you're, if you follow Jesus, and if you are righteous as Abel was, there will be people that hate you and do evil against you. So what, this, what he's doing is he's echoing Jesus' teachings here from, from the book of John, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 15. In John 15, 12, Jesus tells his disciples that his command is for them to love one another as the world loves them. But if we keep reading, we see, we see that he gives them a warning in verse 19. So in John 15, 19, he says this. He says, If you are of the world, the world will love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of it, the world hates you. So John is simply repeating what Jesus taught. Love one another. Love one another. However, in loving people the way that Jesus does, the world will hate you. People will want to do evil against you. And this is, and he's using this Cain and Abel story to kind of uh, bring to life this reality that if you're, if you're righteous, if you follow Jesus, there will be others that want to do evil against you. There will be others that hate you. And this is something we can struggle with today to, to, to love people, even when it's not reciprocated or even when they return your love with hate, that's what we're commanded to do. 
And John is saying, you shouldn't, be, you shouldn't be surprised if the world hates you. You shouldn't be surprised if people treat you poorly. You shouldn't be surprised if people want to do evil against you. You should expect it. However, if we're following Jesus's command, we will love regardless of what we get in return, regardless of if that love is reciprocated, regardless of if, if, if we give love to someone else and they give hate in return, that it's not about what someone gets back to you, but it's about what you're giving out. And our mission, our, our calling as followers of Jesus is to love. So John continues in verse uh, 14. He says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. And so John, if you remember these past few weeks, John is speaking directly against the false teachers here. As believers, we have found life in God. However, these false teachers remained in, in death, or in other words, they remained apart from God because they don't know the true God and are preaching their own gospel, their own truths as they, as they believed it. They're uh, preaching a gospel that was apart from Jesus. And so part of what sets this community, this community that John was uh, writing this letter to, part of what sets them apart from these false teachers is their love for one another. This wasn't, this wasn't love that the false teachers were portraying, and in refusing to show love, they remained apart from God. So this is one of the ways that we can see, this is the mark of a true believer, that if you, this is what he's telling them, and this is what we can, we can take for us today, that if you love one another, this is a mark of what it actually means to follow Jesus. Those that love one another as Jesus did are the ones that are truly following him. And to not be loving, to be unloving, is to not follow Jesus that these two things go hand in hand. If we want to claim to follow Jesus, then we have to love as he loved. And to be unloving or to be hateful or to want to do e evil to others is to directly go against Jesus' command, is to not follow Jesus. Then he continues in verse 15. He says, Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So this, this verse simply reinforces what he said in verse 14. Those that aren't loving... Those that harbor hatred are no different than a murderer who is apart from God. And this echoes Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5. It's, it's, a, it's a, um, you know, the, the uh, famous verses, but in Matthew 5, uh, 21 and 22, he says this. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, Do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And so this cements the idea that how we treat people matters. It's not simply a sin to physically hurt somebody or to kill somebody, but in how we treat people daily, that's what really matters. And hatred and unrighteous anger are things that separate us from God. Hatred or, or anger with our, with our fellow brother or sister, this is something that is uh, totally against what God's command and Jesus' command is for us. So John is telling his readers how to be set apart from these false teachers. Don't act like they do. Don't treat people like they do. They, uh, the, the way they're living is completely apart from God, and for us to remain in God means we have to act differently. Treating people with love and not hatred. Treating people the way that Jesus did. That this is the mark. This is how you will know that you're different from people in the world. If you treat people uh, the same way that people who are not followers of Jesus are being treated or are treating others, then how are we any different? But he's saying it, people should notice that you're different. The way that we treat people, the, our attitudes toward people, should be different than these false teachers who are trying to claim this gospel that is apart from Jesus. 
And he continues in verse 16. He says, this is how, uh, this is how we have come to know love. He laid down our, his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So we should be following Jesus' modeling of how to treat others. He laid down his life, literally, in his sense, for us, and expects us to do the same. Now, verses like this can be a little difficult because while that sounds good in theory, what does it actually mean? What does it mean to lay down your life for somebody else? Does that literally mean that you're to die for somebody as Jesus did? So what does it mean to lay down, to, to, to lay down my life for someone like Jesus? And we can find that answer if we keep reading in these next couple of verses. So let's continue in verses 17 and 18. And I think that'll give us an idea of what this idea means to lay down your life for someone else. So starting in verse 17, he says, If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. So John's giving a practical example here of laying down your life for somebody. He isn't expecting us to to, to do something drastic or literally give our lives, but in laying down what we have for the good of others, putting others' needs above our own. And he's saying, he's saying that, that love is in, he says love is uh, not in word or speech, but in action and in truth. So it's not, it's not just a sense of wishing someone well, of saying that, uh, or of just uh, speaking something to them or encouraging them, but it's actually laying down what you have, laying down your possessions, laying down where you're in abundance for someone who's in need. This is actually physically, tangibly meeting a need. See, Jesus opened his heart and laid down his life for us. And because of that, believers shouldn't close their hearts to others that are in need. We see that you can't deny someone in need and claim to have the love of God. That part of having the love of God is meeting the needs of others, regardless of if they're meeting your needs, regardless of what they're doing back for you. Part of experiencing Jesus' love is giving to others. And we do that by meeting needs uh, that we're able to meet. So as you're, as you're, if, if there are areas in your life where you have abundance or where you have security or where, you have comfortable, com, uh, where you're comfortable and you have someone who's in need in those areas, it's, it flies directly in the face of God to, to deny someone those needs, to not step up and not do something to help those in need. So think of it this way. If someone's struggling and despite our abundance and security, we refuse to help uh, meet that need, uh, how likely are you to actually give your life for that person? Say you're in abundance or you, you have a lot in a certain area and someone else is in need in that area and you're refusing to give to them, refusing to help them. Then if we take it a, a million steps further, how likely are we to actually lay down our lives for that person? In denying, in denying to meet the needs of others while we're safe and secure, we're denying them from experiences, experiencing Jesus' love through us. See, these things are not neutral. It's not as if we can just uh, kind of ignore the needs of others and uh, go along our way and, you know, their life is a separate life than ours. And so it's not that big a deal. We just kind of keep to ourselves. But this is not what following Jesus is. Following Jesus is looking for and identifying the needs of others and then stepping out and meeting them. That following Jesus is not an individual thing. It's not a, it's not um, uh, a self-practice thing where we just we keep to ourselves, we follow Jesus and kind of are in our own little bubble and aren't worried about the rest of the world. But following Jesus is actively meeting the needs of others. And this isn't a new command. This is, this is uh, commanded all throughout the Bible, even if we look all the way back to Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 and 9, it says, If there is a poor person among you, 
one of your one of your brothers within any of your city gates in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. Do not be hardened or tight-fisted towards your poor brother. Instead, you are to open your hand to him and freely loan him enough for whatever he ha- for whatever need he has. Be careful that there isn't this wicked thought in your heart. The seventh year, the year of canceling debts is near, and you are stingy toward your poor brother and give him nothing. He will cry out to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty. So he's saying, don't try and find loopholes in helping others. Don't look to him in this case and in seeing that the year where debts are canceled is coming and saying they just got to push it out a little further and then they'll be fine. Or in our case, looking at somebody and, and making excuses saying, well, they got themselves in the situation. Uh, they should be able to dig themselves out. Uh, there's a reason that they are the way that they are. There's a, there's a reason for me not to help. But he's saying, look for the reasons to help, not the reasons not to. That if someone is in need, what can you do? How can you meet their need? And in actively uh, trying not to or refusing to meet their need, that uh, as this person cries out to the Lord against you, you will be guilty is what Deuteronomy says. But in doing this, we are actively going against the command of Jesus and of God. We are actively hiding Jesus' love from others. So following Jesus is practical. It's not just theoretical. It's not just this idea, but it's, it's, it's practically doing something for somebody else. We're called to do something we're, we're, we're called to do something that meets people's needs, not just wish them well and ignore them, not just say, hope it gets better, not just say, I'm encouraging you, but we're called to actually meet people's physical, tangible needs. And we can see this in the book of James as well. James uh, chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, it says, if a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you uh, says to them, go in peace, stay warm and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? So this, we, we, we do this all the time, where, we, where someone's in need and we, we just, oh, I'm, we're thinking of you, sending good thoughts, hope it gets better, hope you're able to pull yourself out of this, hopefully things turn around for you. But where, instead of just wishing well, can we actually meet the need? Someone's struggling financially and we're doing okay, what can we do to provide? What can we do to help provide for a family that's struggling? What, is it, what does it look like to, uh, to send them a meal, even when there's not a big church-wide thing that's organized? What does it look like when someone's in pain or suffering or struggling to send them something tangible or cover a tangible need for them rather than just shooting them a text saying, hey, thinking of you, which, hey, that's some, saying something is better than just ignoring, but meeting a need, meeting a tangible need is far better than simply wishing someone well, than simply uh, saying that hopefully things get better for you without actually doing something about it. See, believers should be the first in line to meet the needs of others. This is, what we, this is what our churches should be known for. This is what we should be known for as believers. Not just to wish people well, or even just to pray. Prayer is, is great and wonderful and extremely powerful. However, we are called to do something physical and tangible. So if someone's going through something, yes, absolutely pray for them. Tell them that you're praying for them. But take it a step further. And in addition, not in place of, but in addition to the prayer, Look for places where you can meet their physical, tangible needs. This should be the mark of believers, that we're not just willing, not just, not just okay with doing it because we're commanded to, but eager to meet the needs of others. So John continues in verse 19 and 20. He says, This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. So there are times, what he's saying, there's times when our hearts will... Uh, object to helping others and uh, responding in times of need. Like there's going to be times where that's not our first inclination. There's going to be times where it's difficult for us to do so. 
but John is telling us that God is greater than our hearts. That having a relationship with Jesus will help overcome our heart's sinful nature. That God offers compassion and willingness to help and to a skill that we're never able to uh, attain, obviously. So when, when generosity doesn't come easy, or when we're being pulled away from it, we should be looking to God. He's the one that's more generous than, than any other, and he's the one that will help us overcome the stubbornness and self-centeredness that we all face. So he's not saying that this should just come easy for you all the time, that if you're a believer, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, anytime you see a need, it should just be second nature, just whip out your wallet, help him out, no big deal, never have a second thought. That's not what he's saying, but he's saying there's going to be times where your heart condemns you, he says, where, or where your heart uh, kind of works against you, where, where this isn't your first reaction, where this isn't necessarily what your heart wants to do. But in those times, remember that God is greater than your heart. God is the one who can ultimately provide. God is the one who can change your heart and change someone else's heart. And so trusting in him, having a relationship with him is what is going to make it possible to meet these needs when it's not necessarily your first inclination, where it's not necessarily the first thing that you want to do. And he continues on in verse 21 and 22. He says, dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. When, when he says, if our hearts don't condemn us, he's saying that in those times we're able to meet the needs of others uh, willingly, when our hearts don't persuade us to act differently or to ignore the need or where we don't do so uh, sort of begrudgingly, this shows our assurance in our relationship with God. In providing the needs of others, we're keeping his command to love one another, and this is how we know that we have a real relationship with Jesus. So he's saying, it, 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 when, at the times where you're able to meet a need and meet a need out of uh, the generosity of your hearts and where it's not something that takes convincing, but you're willing to do so, this shows your relationship with Jesus. That this over time should get easier and easier as you uh, kind of mature in your faith. Not that we'll be perfect in it ever, but this shows uh, your maturity and your relationship with Jesus. The, the more willing we are to help others, the closer we are, the closer uh, we are getting to Jesus, the closer we are in a relationship with him. And this is the, this is the uh, kind of main point of this book. See, he's saying that in, in the times where we don't always necessarily want to help others, but showing Jesus' love is the, is the main goal for a believer, that we should, our, our goal is to show the love of Jesus to others. And he finishes out this section in verse 23 and 24, kind of uh, cementing this idea. And he closes out this chapter by saying this. He says, now this is his command that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his command remains in him, and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given to us. So this is the main idea of this book. God's command is to believe in Jesus, to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Son of God, and Jesus' command is to love one another. To believe in Jesus requires action, and we're told, we're told exactly what that action is, to love one another. This is, this is uh, you know, the Bible is long, and things can seem complicated at times, and sometimes religion can seem complicated, but this boils it down to the extremely simple, that God's command is to love and follow Jesus, and Jesus' command is to love one another. So if we love one another, love Jesus, this is what it means to be a follower of Christ. We can't claim to love and want a relationship with Jesus if we're unwilling to love one another. Like we said before, this is not just a this is a relationship with Jesus is not just between me and Jesus. That's not how that's not how Christianity works. That's not how following Jesus is. It's between me and Jesus, but also me and all the people around me. It involves showing love to others 
not just having a one-on-one relationship with Jesus while, rel- while ignoring everyone around me. This is the command that was given to the readers in John's time, and it's the same command that's given to us today. See, as believers, we're called to meet physical, tangible needs of others, not just to offer encouragement, not just to uh, offer uh, a good word to them, but to step up physically, financially, and materially as much as possible. Seeing a need and refusing to meet it, especially in an area that we're in abundance or an area where we feel safe and secure, uh, is actively hiding Jesus from others. See, we're called to be Jesus' hands and his feet. We're called to show Jesus to others. And if we claim to be believers, if people know of us as believers, but at the same time, we're refusing to help others, we're stingy with our money, stingy with our time, stingy with the things we have and unwilling to lend a hand to other people, then this is the view that people will have of Jesus. If I claim to be a follower of Jesus, but I'm unwilling to help anybody, then that's what someone is going to think Jesus is. However, if we're following Jesus' command, if we're loving people the way he did, and which means through generosity, through giving to others, with an open hand, not clenched fists, then this is showing people what Jesus truly is about. So as we come to the end of this section, this is the question I want us to ask ourselves today. This is the question I want us to leave us with, and that's this. How can you meet a need this week? It's simple as that. How can you, how can I meet a need this week? Not sometime in the future, not just an idea of a need, but what practical need do I know of that someone has that I can reach out to and fill today, tomorrow? What can I do right now to meet the need of somebody else? What, what practical, material, physical, financial, whatever it looks like, what need does someone have that I know of that I can reach out and meet? Because we all have uh, examples. Like if you sit down and think about it, we all have time. We all have examples we can think of where we know someone is struggling, whether it's struggling financially or struggling uh, to, to take care of things that they need to take care of or struggling to, you know, maybe a single parent who's struggling a little bit and, and you can help take something off their plate for a night or help watch their kids or help uh, go over and mow the lawn or help cover a meal or something along those lines where not everything is world changing. Not everything has to completely revolutionize everything, but what need can you meet now, what need can you meet this week? What physical, practical need do you know of that you can provide for? And as we wrap up today, this is the main idea I want us to walk with today. From this section of 1 John chapter 3, this is the main idea I want us to remember, and that's this, that love requires action. Love requires action. Love requires that we do something, not just sit on the sidelines. Showing Jesus' love doesn't mean we just talk but it requires doing something. Loving people means providing for their needs. It means showing up when they're struggling. It does not mean just telling them I love you, but it means showing them how you love them. Doing what we can to help others in their times of need is being Jesus' hands and feet. See, this is what we're required to do. This is what we're called to do as followers of Jesus, to show love. And showing love means actively doing something, not just wishing well, not just saying I love you, but actually meeting a need for somebody and actually showing love. So remember, as you're going about your week, until we meet next time, that love requires action. And this is what we see in 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. Thanks again for joining us for this Bible study. New City Church is a non-denominational church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information, please visit newcityrdu.com or you can follow us on all social media platforms at at newcityrdu.